Welcome to Space Talk at SpaceRaf. The following podcast is a recording of the Sierra Nevada Corporation press conference held on January 30th, 2013. Sierra Nevada provided an update on the company's activities and introduced Lockheed Martin as their newest partner on their Dream Chaser project. We are, we're going to do really three things today. We're going to give you a, an update on the status of our company, our company in Colorado, our company nationally, and some of the good things that we're doing. We're going to talk about the Dream Chaser, where it is in its uh, development program. I'm going to ask Jim Boss, who's the head of that program, uh, to talk about that. And then we're going to speak to a really special announcement that we have about the expansion of our, our team and uh, our relationship developing and expanding with Lockheed Martin. That's the agenda for today. Uh, I'd like to start by just giving you a, a, a brief update on uh, where the company is. We, uh, we're doing quite well as a business, uh, both here and nationally. The, the company now has got over 2,700 employees uh, throughout the United States with uh, close to 1,000 here in Colorado. We are uh, working uh, now with a, a growth of about, um, over the last 10 years or so, well over 20%, and we've been continuously profitable through that time. The business is uh, now well over a billion and a half dollar business. And uh, what's interesting about us is that we're, we are privately owned by the people who are operating the company. So we have outside, no outside investors and fortunately for us, uh, no debt to the company. So we're able to take a lot of what we make and plow it back into programs like what you're going to hear today. And that's a major investment of tens of millions and over the years, hundreds of millions of dollars into R&D that allows us to do the new things that we're, we've been doing. So we've been quite fortunate in that regard. Uh, the company's not new in, in what we've been doing in space. This is our 25th year in the space business. We've actually been on over 420 space missions. We've built about 4,000 things for space, and uh, to date, all of which have worked on orbit. And we've worked for over 70 programs for NASA and hundreds of programs for virtually everyone in the industry. So we are quietly been becoming one of the larger influences in many different kinds of space. Um, in Colorado, we, we also have been doing quite well, and uh, we have been expanding ourselves uh, as part of what we're doing here today. We'll be talking about some of that expansion. Uh, we now are uh, been named one of the top five places to work in the state of Colorado, which is a really great thing as we everything begins and ends with our workforce. And as the company grows and you add new people, one of the things you're always challenged with is keeping that environment and that culture going. And this was a recent award, so we're very pleased about that, and we continue to try to make sure that we keep that in the foremost of our mind. Our revenues here in Colorado have grown substantially over 300% in the last few years, and as has our, our ability to uh, take facilities here. We now operate multiple facilities here in the Boulder County area, as well as down in Centennial Airport, where we do a significant amount of work. In the space area, we do work here, as you'll see, in satellites and components, as well as in developing the orbital space vehicle. We're also one of the country's largest converters of aircraft, and we do that work here in Colorado and, and have uh, special licenses from the FAA to be able to do some of that work. In the space world, we, uh, we do four things. Uh, we are the, one of the largest uh, builders of small satellites in the United States. We are prime uh, component and subsystem provider to the industry. We design and build rocket motors, some of which you'll see in our program in the Dream Chaser, and we are the owner and operator and prime contractor for an, an orbital space vehicle that you hear about we call the Dream Chaser. It is one of the three final companies uh, and programs that have been selected by NASA to ultimately be the replacement for the space shuttle and the USS uh, path back to bringing humans to orbital, low orbital space. So we're very pleased about that. Um, 
one of the fun things we did when we were looking at how to celebrate our 25th anniversary, we went back in our history and decided that we, we actually have flown to seven of the nine planets. We've done missions to Mars, we've been to the moon, and uh, we have been to, to uh, now Mars more times than any other company that we can find. So we've had 12 missions to Mars, including most recently in working with Lockheed, and you hear a little bit more about that, but we were part of the uh, Mars Science Laboratory landing that happened this summer doing the very critical uh, descent system of the sky crane, basically the last minute of the, the vehicle landing, and that was done here, and those components were built here in Colorado and in this facility in Louisville. So we've been very pleased about that. Um, the, uh, the history for us in Mars goes back a long way, and I like to show this slide just because it shows how, how uh, development happens from the very small rovers that first started to the very large rovers that are now on the surface of Mars. Particularly, I put this up there because this is now the 10th anniversary for the second group of rovers, the two Spirit and Opportunities that went to Mars there. Uh, one of them is still operating on its 10th anniversary, which just happened last week. It was originally meant to be a three to six month mission life, and it's now celebrating 10 years on Mars, and that's a testament to the, really the strong work that's been done by the people here and all around the country on that program. Uh, we are um, expanding here in Colorado facilities, and then I'll get to the national scene here in a second, but two two new facilities um, that we have going, uh, one here in Louisville and one in Centennial that's going to add several hundred thousand square feet, and one is open and the other will be open here shortly. So I'd like to turn our attention now to the Dream Chaser program. Uh, it's a program that we've been developing now for over nine years. It's headquartered here in, in uh, our Louisville facility. The program has uh, now people in 29 states and soon to be 30 states. It is a national program that has a very strong Colorado connection and we are very fortunate to have the best of the best we feel working on this program and we're uh, with Lockheed Martin joining our team today we're going to be adding yet another very strong company and very strong hip history and heritage to the program um, we like to see this uh, as a continuation of the spirit of the shuttle program uh, in our view the big brother little brother uh, activity but we've learned an awful lot from the 135 shuttle missions and we're very fortunate to be uh, the custodians of some of that, that spirit, that, that activity, and that energy, and we feel that it's been passed on to us through ourselves and through all the different various partners that we have. And uh, with that, I'd like to turn it over to uh, Jim Voss um, to, to give you a brief update on what we're doing here on the Dream Chaser program. Jim has joined us a number of years ago after quite a long, successful career at NASA, a five-time astronaut, and has been involved with many aspects of the space program and is on board as our vice president and head of this program and has done a marvelous job in developing over the years that we've been developing it. Jim? Thank you, Mark. And again, welcome to Sierra Nevada here in Louisville. You know, this is a particularly exciting time for the Dream Chaser program as we finish putting together the vehicle and getting ready to go out and actually do a, another flight test with it. And as a, a manager of a program, it's really rewarding to see your, your program coming to hardware and being able to go out and walk around and see all the hard work that's gone into getting it ready to go and do a flight test. Uh, we've been doing a lot of testing, and that's one of the philosophies, I think, of Sierra Nevada and our space systems group here. Mark pointed out the many programs that we participated in, never had a failure. A lot of that is because we test, and we test a lot. And we find failures in testing, we fix them and make sure that when things go out the door that they're going to work correctly. Uh, it's a great philosophy. We embrace it, and we're in the throes of that right now with lots and lots of testing going on with our vehicle. Uh, that's good. It's going to culminate in a, a test in just a few weeks. 
that will be a major test showing that the vehicle can fly and uh, fly autonomously back and land on a runway. We've been doing a lot of milestones for NASA as part of this program. It's the Commercial Crew Integrated Capability Program that we're working under right now, but it's the third in a succession of NASA programs that we participated in to build the Dream Chaser. Uh, the whole purpose of the program is to have a vehicle that can take NASA astronauts to the International Space Station, and we're one of the three companies that are still working on that, and we're moving along pretty quickly uh, with our program. We've completed 21 milestones over the life of the program, three in the commercial uh, crew integrated capability program, and we just did our third one last week, and it was a major safety review that we successfully completed with NASA. Uh, it, was, uh, it went over several months of the work leading up to it, and it was successful, and uh, it's the first in a series of safety reviews that we'll do with NASA to make sure that we're building the safest spacecraft that has ever been built, and we're trying our very best to make it uh, as safe as possible. We are leading up to taking the Dream Chaser out to California to the Dryden Flight Research Center at Edwards Air Force Base. You know, I'd really like to do all our testing here in Colorado, like the, the captive carry test we did last year. We went out and flew in the local area, uh, took off from the local airport, Rocky Mountain Metro, uh, did our, our flight test and returned. Uh, it's nice to do things in our, our home state, but we need a, a restricted area with a range that we can fly under because it's going to be flying autonomously. We can't do that here in Colorado, so we've got to go out there. And as you know, we, we really like doing things here at home. Uh, we do a lot of work with the University of Colorado as, as well, and now we're doing even more work with Lockheed Martin here in Colorado and other places. But the, the work with the University of Colorado has been very rewarding to me, being a, a former professor and even teaching a class for the University of Colorado periodically. Uh, we work with students, and they've been helping us with a variety of things, with design of our cockpit and human factors evaluations, and uh, we've done structural testing up there as well. It's a great relationship, and it gets a lot more of Colorado entities involved with the Dream Chaser program. When we get to Dryden, uh, we're going to do a lot of testing, uh, tow testing to make sure that the vehicle performs properly on the runway. Uh, we're going to do some more airborne testing of the vehicle, a lot of ground testing, communications testing to make sure that we can command it and get data from it. And it will all come culminate with a flight test in about six to eight weeks. We'll be shipping in about two weeks. We'll have about a month of further testing, and then we'll fly our first of a series of flight tests uh, at the uh, Edwards Air Force Base where the vehicle will be released from a helicopter and it will fly down and land autonomously on the runway and we'll gather the aerodynamic data that we need to complete our aerodynamic database for the Dream Chaser. Later this morning, we're gonna have the opportunity to go out and look at the uh, engineering test article, as we call it, of the Dream Chaser. Still under construction and there are things that we, we uh, can't take pictures of, but we want you to take a, a look at it and we'll talk about it a little bit and show you the state that it's in as we get ready for shipping and then our flight test in uh, about six weeks. Uh, I'm gonna give it back to Mark now to talk about our new partnership. Thank you, Jim. We. Um when we first started this program nine years ago, we, we made a decision, and that decision was that while we're very smart people and we have a lot of uh, terrific people who work for us, we also realized that, that building something like this is a very complex thing. And instead of trying to do everything on our own, we set up a scenario where we wanted to reach out to the best of the best in the industry. And we have done that on multiple different levels, and we think has, that's one of the reasons, probably the prime reason why we're sitting here today about to start our flight test. We have 12 companies that 
are involved as partners. We have now uh, three different universities, including the university here in Colorado, engaged. And we have also reached out to the NASA centers around the country, and we have seven NASA centers who are part of our team. And one of the reasons we did that is that we believe, as uh, people who have been in this industry a long time, that uh, there are a lot of smart people who know what they're doing, and we want them on our team. And NASA itself has had a tremendous history in space. Instead of trying to go the other way and try to recreate this, we reached back into the people who have been doing this work and said, help us. Help us make this a better place. Help us get the space safer. Help us be able to uh, solve these problems sooner. And we've seen so much encouragement from the different NASA centers around the, around the country to be able to do that. And it's been, I think, one of the big parts of the success of our program. Similarly speaking, we have also been able to enjoy and, and reach out to the different political connections. We have a number of people here from state and uh, local and federal government in the room today. And we believe that having that governmental support is a terrific thing. And you're going to hear a few minutes from Michelle. But today we wanted to take a moment and, and provide an announcement um, of a start of a new relationship, a new member joining our team. And we're, and we're very excited and very pleased to be able to do that. Uh, for so many years, the, the word, the name Lockheed Martin has meant so much to the space industry and to the aerospace industry, and we're fortunate enough to have Lockheed's main facility here in the state of Colorado. And over the last number of years, they've been developing America's beyond-the-earth uh, vehicle called the Orion vehicle, and have, have invested a tremendous amount of their own money, and the U.S. taxpayers and the government has put a lot of money into the program. And we've been so impressed by that work and, and the history and the work behind that. Uh, uh, as over the last number of months, uh, Jim Crocker and I and others from both teams have been working together to say, ask the question, how, what can we do to, to really leverage that investment? Much like we've been doing over the years of the program, there's been so much terrific work done on certification, on design, on manufacturing. There's, there's so much depth within the Lockheed organization that we hadn't been able to access. We asked ourselves the question, how could we do that? And that has led to the beginning of a, of a very, we think, a very exciting and, and a very expansive relationship where Lockheed has joined our, our Dream Chaser team as an exclusive partner to help us with the certification, which is how do we get this vehicle really fit to fly safely, uh, to pass all the requirements, to do the things that are going to be necessary to fly human beings to orbit on a, on a system that's supposed to be something that flies frequently. And we're going to combine our knowledge, the knowledge that Lockheed has done through uh, their work to date on the Orion program and around the, the, their entire space portfolio, as well as their aircraft portfolio, with what we're doing. And we're very fortunate to be able to access that. And we think this is a terrific thing for not only us and our program, but for NASA, who's already invested a lot of money into this program, as well as for the U.S. taxpayers. We have a knowledge base here that we should access. And as a company and as a, as a a part of the United States and as a patriot, I believe that we should go back and do whatever we can do to ensure that Americans are flying to, to space and American spacecraft designed and built here. And by bringing Lockheed on board, we think we're going to get a tremendous boost from that. Uh, but it doesn't stop there. We also are expanding the relationship to the manufacturing side, using facilities that have been designing and, and building things for space and for the aerospace community for quite a long time. And, we're quite fortunate to be adding the Michoud facility that Lockheed has used for many years successfully to build build, build tremendous uh, things for the aerospace industry, and that brings Louisiana back on our team, so we add another state and expand our relationship and our footprint nationally. And we believe that this is the beginning of, of a terrific relationship that will benefit both companies in a significant way, and uh, we have the contracts now signed, and we're, we're just beginning that relationship. In fact, today is the kickoff for the next 
newest contract for NASA called the Certification Products Contract, which is the first step to actually getting vehicles ready to go to space. And with that, I'd like to express my appreciation to, uh, to Lockheed, to Joanne McGuire, who runs the Space Systems Group, to all the people there, because I think this has been a, uh, a wonderful addition to our team, and I know it's not that easy to, to really rethink the way you do business. But that's what we need to do in these economic times, in these times where America needs to get back on its feet and get back into the space industry. We need to pull the best of the best together, and I believe with today's announcement, we've added another best of the best to our team. So I'm very pleased to do that and to ask my friend Jim Crocker, who's really taking a very broad view of what we can do and I think a very progressive view of how to move Lockheed forward to speak a few words on it. Thank you, Jim. Mark, Jim, thanks so much. On behalf of Lockheed Martin, it's really my privilege to be uh, a part of the Dream Chaser team. We're new to the Dream Chaser team, but we're not new to Sierra Nevada. We work a lot together in, uh, in various roles. Uh, you're a subcontractor to us on the advanced DHF satellites as well as the A2100. Both of us worked together on, as Mark said, on Curiosity. They did that, uh, a, a large portion of that very, very exciting landing. We, right down the road, built the aero entry system for Curiosity, the heat shield and back shield that were so important to get Curiosity through the atmosphere. So we have a long relationship of working together. And we couldn't be more excited to be working together on Dream Chaser. Uh, as, as Mark said, uh, we're kicking off the certification products uh, contract uh, today. We'll have dozens of people who will be helping to uh, make sure this, uh, from ground flight software up to vehicles, are the safest we can fly. Um, one of the other ways that we're working together that, and we have been, that may not be obvious to everyone, of course, United Launch Alliance, which will be providing the Atlas V for the Dream Chaser launch as a joint venture that Lockheed Martin's 50% partner in. And the Atlas was, of course, also designed right here in Colorado and built here for, for so many years. So a lot of Colorado content as well. We're also excited to be leveraging our uh, experience at the Michoud Assembly in New Orleans, where we built 135 shuttle external tanks. So we have a lot of experience down there in building spaceflight hardware for, for, and human rating it. Uh, also, we're leveraging our fifth generation fighter, the Joint Strike Fighter and the F-22 composites that we will be uh, using as a basis for, for Dream Chasers. So we're very excited to leverage that investment as well. As Mark said, uh, our nation's made a, a lot of investment in human spaceflight over the years, uh, not only with Orion, but with the shuttle external tank, which will be leveraging those people, processes, and facilities down in New Orleans. But uh, in addition to that, Lockheed Martin has invested almost $300 million uh, directly into human spaceflight-related facilities uh, uh, for uh, Orion, and we want to see those leveraged. Uh, we have a lot of those facilities 25 miles down the road, as Mark said, from here, which we'll be leveraging, such as the Space Operations Simulations Laboratory and others. Um, and we really want to uh, bring those and make those available uh, as we move forward together to, uh, to really leverage our, our, our heritage and experience. So we could not be happier to be part of the team. We could not be happier to uh, strengthen the relationship that we've built between our two companies over the last uh, uh, many number of years and to move forward together to get Americans flying get in space, both for deep space exploration as well as our return to, to LEO with the, with the Dream Chaser. So thanks, 
Mark for this opportunity to work with you again. We, uh, one of the, I think the things that we get asked a lot is how do we feel about American Space Program? And the Dream Chaser is an orbital space vehicle. It is meant to only fly to low Earth orbit and to do that. And I get asked a lot about whether or not we want to go beyond that. And I, I generally tell people if we could develop a system that gets us to Leo and back, we're going to be doing quite a lot for the country. And, and that's where our focus is. We are big supporters of America's space program, including uh, as, a, as a member of the space community going beyond Leo and finding the next destination. And I know that Orion is going to be a major part of that, as well as our new rocket systems that are going to be developed. But interesting for us. When you think about it now that with Orion and what Dream Chaser is doing and with United Launch Alliance, a significant part of America's human spaceflight industry is now based here in Colorado. So it's, a, it's been a, a very big move forward. And that is a testament not only to the companies and to NASA, but also to the governmental support that we've gotten. We've been terrifically ha uh, happy with all levels of support. We have the mayor of Louisville here and uh, our headquarters here is in Louisville and it's a, been a terrific city for us to grow and expand in. It's one of the best places to live and work, I think, that I've ever seen and we're really fortunate to be there. We've had great support on a county level and on a state level. Um, governor Higginlooper, I think, has, uh, has shown that it's uh, having a governor who's also been a, an entrepreneur and someone who's been in business has really changed the, the attitude, I think, here in the state to be one that is looking for how can we make things work and that's really being seen throughout the state, including uh, attracting companies like us who want to expand within the state level. And, and that all also goes all the way to Washington. I have uh, great relationships we do as a company with, with our senators and our congressmen, and we have representatives from Senator Udall's staff and Senator Bennett's staff here, and uh, Congressman Polis has been, uh, his, he and his team have been very supportive of us, and we, we really believe that's what it takes to move something forward, not just within our state, but across the United States. Right now, we're flying Americans to space on Russian space vehicles, and that's just not the way that we want to do that. Uh, but I wanted to bring a representative of that governmental um, cooperation here today, and if we could, and, and ask Michelle from the governor's office to say a few words. Michelle? Thank you, Mark. Uh, we're, the governor's office is excited to share in this announcement today, and we're pleased to be here and be included in, in today's announcement between Sierra Nevada Corporation and Lockheed Martin. And on behalf of Governor John Hickenlooper and the Office of Economic Development and International Trade, we want to congratulate Sierra Nevada Corporation and, and Lockheed Martin on this strategic partnership. Uh, the governor's office has had a very close relationship with both uh, Lockheed Martin and Sierra Nevada Corporation. We're excited to continue this close relationship and develop these strategic partnerships further. Um, this example couldn't speak more to the governor's bottom-up blueprint and our strategic initiatives as a state to help grow industry from, from the bottom up and have industry look to one another to help develop relationships and look in our own backyard to, to do business with one another and help help identify strategic relationships and partnerships to say we have competitive advantages, we have strengths in our own backyard with companies that are um, advanced within these industries and, and we're going to seek partnerships with them and leverage those resources to, to do business in Colorado. Uh, with that, we've got the Atlas V in Colorado, we've got Orion in Colorado, and now Dream Chaser, and so we really are becoming, you know, a homegrown state for, for human um, manned spaceflight systems, which, which couldn't put Colorado on the map in, in, a better, in a better position. We are number two space economy by the private sector. Uh, we are the number two space economy, um, depending on how you calculate um, 
you know, space, whether it's employment or revenues. So um, that's a good position for Colorado. What we're trying to do as a state is develop a strategic business plan and um, how we've done that is we've been interviewing companies such as Sierra Nevada Corporation. Uh, we've been working with our federal delegation and couldn't couldn't thank them more. Uh, I know Mark has alluded to to the support that the federal delegation has provided to Sierra Nevada Corporation and Lockheed Martin, but we do want to publicly thank um, the federal delegation for their support. Um, we, our office doesn't operate alone. Our office has gotten great support from the local partners. We, I, we do have Aaron DeYoung, a local economic developer, in the room. We also have the mayor of Louisville in the room. Um, we also have, again, Joe Rice with Lockheed Martin, government relations in the room. So the state does recognize um, a, a lot of our local partners. Brandon Ratner with Senator Udall, Udall's office. The Metro Denver Economic Development Partnership has been an excellent resource. and. Um, we can't emphasize more that the value of collaboration brings to the state. Governor Hickenlooper and our director, Ken Lund, have often said that collaboration really is what sets Colorado apart from other states' strategies, and I, I truly believe that, that that statement couldn't be more true. We, um, we may not have the best incentives, we may not have uh, the most money to throw at companies, but what we do have is our ability to communicate directly with, with industry, directly with our delegation, directly with our stakeholders, directly with our taxpayers and uh, out-execute other states. We, we commit to um, building business-friendly friendly public policy. We commit to supporting entrepreneurism. We facilitate partnerships between university and industry, and uh, we execute on those, those commitments. So um, I, I couldn't be more impressed with the work that Sierra Nevada Corporation and Lockheed Martin have done in, order, uh, in terms of collaborating with one another. In addition, in terms of collaborating with NASA, a federal uh, government agency, as well as um, University of Colorado and some other um, higher education institutions, so that that demonstrates the state's uh, business model and is indicative of, of what the governor's uh, blueprint was intended to do. So I just wanted to say um, thank you to to both uh, Sierra Nevada and to Lockheed for for their investment and for doing business in Colorado and for helping. Uh, advanced Colorado's aerospace industry. I'd like to invite everyone in the room to our February 5th um, aerospace industry business plan report out where we're going to unveil some of the strategic initiatives we've had um, surrounding the aerospace industry where we've had input from both Sierra Nevada Corporation, Lockheed Martin, and you know several other aerospace industry stakeholders. Uh, it'll be held at History Colorado um, February 5th, 9 o'clock, and again it'll It'll help identify a lot of the strategies that I've, I've spoken about today. So congratulations on the partnership, and thank you for having us. Well, uh, we'll turn this over to um, Q&A here in a moment. Um, and the last um, group I'd like to thank is, is you all in the press. I think that this, uh, this whole saga of how we get back to space has been well covered, and, and we're very excited about the, uh, the attention that we're getting with this, and we continue to, to reach out and support. Everything we're talking about today will be on our website at sncspace.com, and we'll be also showing the work that we're doing in, in our hiring work. Uh, so all of you who are out there who may be interested in working in the space industry will be able to drive into that and see what jobs are available and open in our different facilities. So I'd like to now, if I could, um, open up for Q&A if there is any before we do go off and uh, locally do a tour, and we'll open the lines uh, externally as well as locally. Yes. Uh, 
I'll, I'll ask, ask Jim to answer that question, but we, uh, we are going to be doing a number of flight tests, and the number is going to be defined by the program and the information we receive, not by a fixed number. We need to continue to test until we get to a place that we feel safe and comfortable with the vehicle and we've met our requirements. Jim? Yeah, each of the flight tests will last uh, 30 to 40 seconds, uh, and we will gather first flight test is just to make sure it will fly, everything works properly, we land on the runway safely. Then we have a series of flight tests after that where we'll gather the, the rest of the aerodynamic data. We'll be gathering data on each of them, but we'll put in uh, maneuvers on the following tests that will gather the, the coefficients that we need to properly define the aerodynamic characteristics of the vehicle. It's a typical flight test. We just have a short period of time to do it in, and our partners at the uh, NASA Langley uh, research center have developed some really clever techniques of flight tests that allow you to gather a huge amount of data very quickly and so we're going to employ those with our flight test uh, we will fly until we get the data that we need we think that could be in as few as two additional flights after the first one but it could be as many as five so we're going to look at the data after each flight then we'll see if there were any anomalies or any problems and then we'll fly again and we'll continue to gather data until we get everything that we need to ensure we're ready to move on to the next vehicle, which will be, we call it our flight test vehicle, much more extensive vehicle that will do a lot more uh, flight test activities, included piloted flying. It'll be similar to this vehicle, but we'll be able to pilot it uh, with a, a test pilot on board. And then that same vehicle will be ultimately used for an orbital flight to demonstrate the capability of the Dream Chaser in orbit. Uh, that is the vehicle that Lockheed Martin is helping us to start building. They're already working on it now, right? Jeff and Bobby, <laughs> already working, right? Okay, good, because uh, we have a schedule to stay on. So they're they're building the structure for that vehicle as we finish design of some of the other systems we'll use for that additional flight test that we'll do in about a year to 18 months. Thank you. Yes. What's the financial value uh, that you're putting on this partnership? And uh, could you give a little more detail as to exactly what Lockheed Martin will be uh, doing down there in New Orleans? Sure. Um, we, we don't release specific financial values, but it's a significant multi-million dollar uh, long-term contract that will really be the first, uh, the design is to have it as a first phase where there will be other tasks that are added in over, over a period of time. Um, the work that they will be doing besides, uh, it really falls into two categories initially. The first is to be a, our um, partner on the certification products contract for NASA, which is the path to certification of the vehicle and they are our exclusive partner on that particular set of operations, and that's a multi-million dollar, 15-month or so contract. The second is to begin engaging the design and engineering manufacturing capabilities of Lockheed through, as Jim mentioned, the uh, build of the next um, airframe for the vehicle, which will be done in the Michoud um, lab uh, facility down in, in um, Louisiana. Jim? No, I, uh, I really can't add much to that. Uh, our Both of our teams representing those two efforts are actually here this morning. We have a CPC kickoff meeting actually uh, uh, starting today, and we also have our project manager and director from Mashu who's uh, up here now, and uh, we're kicking that off as well. We have contracts underway, and, and uh, we actually are leveraging materials that we already had in stock. I'd just like to mention one thing. Uh, we were competitively selected for this. I think we were... Uh, we're able to leverage the investments that the companies made as well as uh, our deep knowledge of, of composites 
for advanced uh, fighter aircraft as well as composites for space vehicles here. And uh, I think that showed in the proposal. And we were, uh, we were really pleased that uh, we were able to, uh, to leverage all of those capabilities to, to help not only Sierra Nevada, but as, as, uh, as Mark said, we really are leveraging these capabilities for the nation to, to get us back into uh, uh, American-made systems, launching Americans uh, into space, both for deep space with Orion and for, for uh, uh, low-Earth orbit space station for, uh, for Dream Chaser. So we're very pleased to be able to do that. Next question. The question was the timetable for getting the vehicle up into orbit. There's really two answers to that question. The vehicle itself will be developing from its uh, atmospheric flights into an orbital vehicle, so we will be testing an orbital vehicle within the next couple of years. NASA expects that by 2017 it will select uh, companies to provide the service and conduct and begin the first uh, final orbital test and then leading into service for, uh, for the space station. So between now and 2017, a series of tests will go on, some with the company, culminating in the NASA contract that will then provide an ongoing service for not only life of the station, but then, uh, and at least in our case, because of the unique design of the vehicle and many other potential missions that we might be doing. Sure. The question was, once we start service, what's the future of the vehicle? And uh, I think there's really several things. The, uh, we believe one of the greatest assets of this vehicle is the fact that it is reusable. And we're baselining a, a 25 to 30 mission life of the vehicle. Could be much more than that. The shuttle's got an average of 27 flights per vehicle. And that's a significant, if you think about the cost of going to space, being able to have a vehicle that has that kind of lifespan to it is is uh, quite a benefit to us and we think to NASA and the nation for not having to build a vehicle on every flight. The, I think the second answer is how many potential vehicles we could build. The, the vehicle is a composite design which allows us a, a fairly straightforward way to be able to build additional vehicles and the answer is as many vehicles as is needed for the market demand. It's no different than uh, building an aircraft and how many aircraft you will build. It depends on how many missions and how many people would want to buy it. But the operative thing there is that once we build the first few, the cost of building the remaining ones goes down significantly, and that en enables us, alongside the fact that the vehicles can have a long life in space, to really have an economic model that makes sense. Thanks. Great question. Next question. It showed the Dream Chaser next to the shuttle, showed the dramatic difference in size between the two. How does the mission differ from the space shuttle's mission? Yeah, we, we do that. Um, in actuality, the, the space occupied by the people is, is not as different as the vehicle sound, but the shuttle was designed for a very specific mission, and that was to help build the space station and to do other things. But it was designed at the size it was because it had to take up major components to go to space. And my characterization that I use, it's, it's sort of the equivalent of I'm moving across the country, I need a very big moving van to get everything over across the country, but once I'm in my house, I need a good SUV to get me around town. I don't need that moving van to do that. And what we have in, in many ways is that type of very flexible vehicle. We can take a full complement of people, which is seven people in our case. We could take autonomous flights and have it as a full cargo vehicle. We can mix people and cargo very much like your SUV. And the idea that we are able to do that and 
be able to conduct other missions in space and, and come home to a runway landing with less than two Gs within hours of leaving the space station. There are many benefits to the vehicle. So we're, we feel we're carrying on the, the characteristics of the shuttle, the, the reusability, the ability to, uh, to do many things in space, uh, maybe in a less complex, less expensive way, but many of those, uh, those great benefits are inherent in our vehicle. We're just able to now, basically 35 years later, take the benefit of 135 shuttle flights and say if we were to build something for what we need today, what would it look like? And that's what our vehicle is. Thank you. Yes. Just one last follow-up. Uh, Mark, if you could just comment on the competitive landscape. I know here we're talking about a partnership, but of course uh, SpaceX is involved. We have uh, Boeing, others that are in this space. And I'm wondering, you know, how do you view the situation with them in terms of SNC uh, developing um, your program and um, all the companies that receive money from NASA? Talk a little bit about that that uh, competitive nature of the of the situation. Sure. I think the first thing to notice in the competition is that our, our vehicle design is unique amongst the three companies that are left. The other two companies are developing a capsule-based design. Ours is a lifting body piloted spacecraft, which has a, a number of other attributes. And, and I think there was an intention by NASA to create diversity in design in this program, and uh, we feel very strongly about that. And there were other lifting body designs that were considered along the way. We've, there were over 25 teams during the lifespan of the competition that have develop themselves to uh, or try to get into this program so it is a competitive situation we, d we don't know what the future is going to be with how many companies will be selected but we feel pretty strongly that since we are the piloted lifting body amongst the three that are there that it's a very strong position for us to be in Jim? not on that but back on the volume question the, the volume per person is approximately the same as it was on the space shuttle and having flown on the Soyuz, the vehicle that's currently used to carry people to the space station, it's far, far, far bigger. And you, you have a lot more room per person than you do in the, the small Soyuz vehicle. And that gives a lot of other applications, flexibility for the vehicle for other missions that it might accomplish other than just transport crew to and from the space station, but for flights to, as independent laboratories or uh, different kinds of research, even suborbital or orbital research that could be done just inside the vehicle over a, about a three-day period of time. Next question. Are we getting questions from the online folks, too, as well? All right, thank you. In the room? Hi, Chris Painter with the Denver Post. Um, just kind of wondering, I know benchmarks, reaching benchmarks is pretty important in moving yourself forward with this uh, program, and just wondering, how you guys are doing in this particular phase with um, reaching those benchmarks and if you are staying within budget. Uh, the question was about the path of benchmarks and milestones and whether or not we're staying in budget. I'll let my program manager answer that one. <laughs> yes, uh, as I mentioned, we've completed 21 milestones now and for the CCI CAP program, we're right on schedule. We've completed our all of our milestones on time and we are actually under budget right at this particular time. NASA has their money phased to them, and so they pay, uh, they pay us for performance. When we complete a milestone 
and we show that we've actually done the work that we were supposed to do, then we get paid. What's up? So we go out on a limb for the first few months Sierra of the program, and then they start paying us, and then we get a little bit of a head, and we have a reasonable cash right. flow with the program. Uh, the milestones are not the only thing that are paid for by the milestone payments. It pays for the rest of the, the program, the many other things um, that have to be done to completely develop yeah, we'll talk later about it. spacecraft. So we use the funds that NASA provides and the, oh, yeah, yeah. the Sierra Nevada just, Corporation investment, like before, which little, is substantial. Uh, uh, we uh, we use that to help advance the vehicle and continue the development right. in far more ways than just the milestones that are completed. Right. But we're on schedule, and we are accomplishing all of our milestones successfully right now. And uh, at least as of right now, we are under budget on the program. You know, back to an earlier question about the lifting body and capsules. If you go back and you look at the history of, uh, of many of the programs that uh, preceded this, the very first program actually that, that we were involved in uh, was the orbital space plane, and this was a, a vehicle that was supposed to go to station, and then later that was to be the lifeboat uh, for station. And if you look at that, that was also a winged wheeled vehicle. And if you're going up and down the station, lifting body, wing wheel vehicle is, you know, we've been thinking about this for a long time. That's a great way to do it. Orion doesn't have wings and wheels, but then we're going to beyond the moon. We're going to Lagrange points and, and one day with other propulsion and our uh, habitats, we'll be going to Mars. And you don't want to carry wings and wheels to Mars. but. So that's a kind of a natural breakdown, and I think that's one of the reasons why this is such a great design. It allows you to come back, land on a runway, and uh, 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 carry carry crew and, and uh, cargo and passengers up and down. And I think if you think about it, that's a, a really, really clear uh, demarcation for maybe kind of the right way to do different kinds of vehicles. Thank you, Jim. Hi, Leonard David with Space.com. I was curious about, I heard suborbital fly by there, and I'm curious about because of the emerging market for space tourism, have you looked at how this vehicle can service a, a suborbital market? Hi, Leonard. Welcome. Um, we are not focused on the suborbital market uh, at this point. What we're doing is working towards uh, an orbital vehicle. However, to get to be in orbit, we have to go through various regimes, including the suborbital regime. So that's why you hear us talking about it. It's not a focus of our activity at this point in time. There is a telephone question. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Peter Potts from the Christian Science Monitor. Your line is open. Oh, thank you, uh, uh, Peter Spots. But <laughs> um, I, I, somebody alluded to this earlier, but I wonder if uh, uh, one of you folks could kind of um, uh, elaborate a little bit on what it is about this point in the commercial crew process that makes this kind of an alliance, uh, you know, the right time to make this kind of an alliance. Thanks. It's a, I think that's a great question. I, I think one of the things that I would look at is that we are moving in the last year or so from being conceptual and being based on paper to being based in hardware. We are now starting a flight program. We are now starting to think about how to operate the system, how to actually create a transportation regime to low Earth orbit, and how to build multiple vehicles, and how to do all the things necessary to really uh, fly and fly within the next few years to low Earth orbit and to the space station and other, other destinations. And I think 
as we have expanded our needs and our desires, we're moving from that concept to the, to the next phase of the program and probably faster than most people realize. And in doing that, we, we felt it was be really beneficial to us to start bringing on board the talents of people who have had that experience before and understand many of the things from, from a different perspective than we did. And I think this is, a, for our, from our perspective, this was the right time to do something like this. Great. Thank you. Yeah, I'll just add one thing. that I'm, Mark and I have been talking about this for, for some time. Uh, this appeared to both of us to be the right time because it's the time that we can bring the most value. It's when we can leverage the enormous investment in production capability and facilities and experience that we have in, in the most valuable way for the team. Thanks for your question. Next question. Uh, <clears throat> thank you. Who are, poten who are potential clients beyond NASA, beyond the federal government, and what kind of missions could you do short of flying astronauts up to the space station? What kind of flexibility do you have? Sure, we, we uh, view this as a transportation system for low Earth orbit, not a point solution for the space station. And in doing that, we've looked at several different types of areas that we could work. For example, the, the vehicle in a long duration capacity unmanned could act as a science platform. There's potential for the vehicle to do servicing in space, sat uh, satellite servicing or other types of servicing. We have the capabilities of, with our hybrid rocket motors that are on board, to restart the motors and have uh, the ability to fly in space at different altitudes. And that allows us to con at least conceptually look at different missions that we could, we could work towards. Uh, if there are other destinations other than the space station that are built, we could provide transportation to those uh, privately built or other country destinations. We also have the capability of bringing people up to to uh, expand the envelope for what would be currently a very burgeoning uh, young suborbital tourist market. Some of those people will want to go to the next level. So there are multiple aspects of what the vehicle can do, mainly added and assisted by its design and its reusability and its ability to have a benign flight back as compared to other systems. Um, clients could range from other parts of our government, other agencies of government, other types of missions for NASA that uh, are not directly related to the space station. We think that there could be an industrial uh, view for testing and scientific work in space, university research for long duration work in space, uh, other countries who are interested in having a space program who uh, don't have the, the desire or the interest in investing the kinds of money that has already been invested. Uh, as well as, uh, as potentially somewhere down the road, private citizens who are looking to expand the, the tourism side of things. Sure, it was a it was a selection. We looked at many different locations to do that, and, and I think there were four or five that made us make this decision. Um, not the least of which was Louisville being chosen a couple of years ago as the number one city in America to live in, which was uh, 
from a recruiting perspective, when you get U.S. News and Money Magazine doing something like that, it certainly helps to bring a workforce in. We, we imagined that we were going to be expanding our workforce considerably. We wanted to have a place where people would like to live and raise their families, be able to come and afford to, um, to move and, and be part of the community here. Colorado as a whole is a, an attractive place to be. There's so much to do and there's so much healthy activities that can be done here. That was a big deal. Uh, I think the friendliness of the local government at the time uh, was, was they reached out and, and really spent the time to get to know us and, and attracted us in that way. We feel by being here in this part of Colorado, we have access to all parts of, this, of the region and the city as well as direct access to the airport. Um, the international airport as well as the regional airport, which is just a few miles away. Uh, many factors like that. And we also wanted a place where we could expand and not have to pick up roots and, and do that again. And all those things that we looked at largely have come true, and that's why we are expanding and taking additional facilities here. Just one thing, as you mentioned, there's a, another Lockheed Martin facility uh, right here in Louisville. That's our coherent technologies where we do advanced uh, laser radar work. Uh, one of the things that attracted Lockheed Martin here is the access to uh, the knowledge base of a large number of PhDs that we're able to recruit from the area here. And, uh, uh, that's just uh, been phenomenal for us. In, in addition to that, uh, uh, it's the ability of, of people to, uh, as Mark was talking about earlier, have the deep uh, relationships with the universities here. So. So those are, are very important to us, as well as the lifestyle and, and the ability to attract people here uh, to Colorado and to Louisville in particular. Thank you. Any more questions online? Yes, we have four questions over the phone. Your first next question comes from the line of Dan Leone from Space News. Your line is open. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having the call. Uh, I want to make sure that I'm absolutely clear on the relationship between Lockheed and Sierra Nevada. Is there anything, is it correct to say that Lockheed's doing whatever work it's doing under the CPC contract, or is there Lockheed work that extends beyond the scope of the certification products contract? And then I'll have a follow-up to that. Hey, Dan, how are you? Uh, it, we are releasing a press release concurrent with this, which will have the details in it, and you can see that. But to answer your question directly, uh, they, uh, Lockheed is working underneath our contract as a contractor to us underneath the certifications products contract. In addition to that, we have a separate contract in agreement for their to do work under what is known as the CCI cap contract, and that is underneath that contract is where the work is going to be done to advance the, design, the build of our next airframe. Okay, and uh, the follow-up question is, you said that there's going to be some work done at the Michoud Assembly Facility. Uh, if, if that's not the exact name of the facility, then uh, which facility is that down at that campus? And whose and who's is it, by the way? That's NASA's uh, facility. It's the NASA Assembly Facility in New Orleans. It's the facility that uh, that the shuttle external tank was uh, was the 136 that we built 135 tanks that we flew there and we have uh, a lot of experience as we mentioned earlier in building uh, human rated uh, flight hardware uh, at that facility and we're really uh, really pleased that we can continue to do work in that facility if you've ever had a chance to be at that facility, you see the tremendous resources that we have as a nation that, 
that NASA's invested in, and the the ability to continue to build human-rated hardware there, in this case it's the composite work that we'll be doing there, uh, is just, uh, just something that, as we as a nation, ought to continue to do. Uh, there are a number of, of facilities, uh, NASA facilities, that um, Mark spoke about earlier that are participating um, where, where they're actually paid for use of those facilities, same thing in this case. Uh, uh, and that's a key component to leverage that capability. Thank you, Dan. Next question online. Your next question comes from the line of Marcia Smith of SpacePolicyOnline.com. Your line is now open. Thank you so much. My question was also about these facilities. I think that Jim Crocker mentioned there are some there in Colorado that are for Orion, but that can be used for Dream Chaser. So could you just summarize? briefly which Orion facilities can also be used for this? Well, they're not Orion facilities per se. They're facilities uh, that, that Lockheed Martin built and invested in, which uh, we, we have the ability to use across multiple programs. I'll just mention one that we have and a, a number of you have probably seen, and that's our Space Operations Simulation Facility. It's a uh, fraction of the size of a football field, but it allows you to actually fly uh, hardware in the loop so you can actually demonstrate the ability to rendezvous, dock, and, and fly, whether it's Orion or uh, the Dream Chaser, uh, dock with other vehicles, uh, the space station, for example, and actually uh, do hardware in the loop. We can actually put a full-size Orion capsule in there or a full-size Dream Chaser and actually demonstrate uh, with hardware in the loop uh, on orbit operations. We also have simulation facilities down there as well, as well as a, a, a large amount both there and in other Lockheed Martin locations of a very advanced manufacturing capability. Uh, as, as you probably know, we built all of the reentry vehicles for the United States that landed on Mars. All of those reentry composites were built right here in Colorado at our Lockheed Martin facility as well as the most recent uh, aero-entry system, back shell and heat shell, for the Curiosity uh, system that landed on Mars. Uh, the systems that return samples, uh, Stardust and Genesis, from beyond the Earth-Moon system, the first samples robotically to come back, those systems were built uh, right here in Colorado using our advanced uh, composite manufacturing capabilities. Thank you. Next question. Your next, your next question comes from the line of Stephen Clark. Your line is now open. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having this uh, call for uh, media who can attend. Um, a couple of questions. Uh, uh, first of all, is, uh, is Lockheed Martin providing any of its uh, own financial resources the Dream Tracer program, or is it just leveraging um, already investments already made in other programs? And uh, secondly, um, uh, how close are you to selecting a facility or a base of operations for Dream Chaser uh, between, between flights uh, when the system becomes operational? I know that was expected sometime after the CCI capital work. Thanks. I'll uh, turn it over to Jim in a second. We, we have committed to having the base of operations at the Space Coast in Florida. Uh, we're working through what facilities we would actually be using and when we would uh, occupy those facilities, but the Dream Chaser nominally will will take off uh, on its Atlas V and land back at the Florida facility and be refurbished and 
and uh, operated and, and maintained in the uh, Space Coast area at the Kennedy Space Center in and around there in conjunction with what Space Florida is doing. The actual facilities is something that's still under discussion and we'll be announcing that later on in the program. Jim, do you want to speak to the other? Yeah, and just as Mark said earlier, we really, uh, both at the size of the contract and our relationships, we're, we, you know, this is very competitive, so so we're uh, keeping those things close. But uh, I think, as you can see, uh, we, we bring enormous capabilities and resources to the team, and uh, we're really looking forward to working together closely as we, uh, as we go ahead into the future. Very good. Next question online. Your next question comes from the line of James Dean of Florida Today. Your line is now open. Hi, thanks. Um, just a couple of uh, random questions here. Uh, the, the, for the flight tests, um, from how high will Dream Chaser be dropped, and and approximately what speeds will, will it achieve on, on those flights? And and uh, Mr. Crocker, just with sort of a local hat on here, just wanted to ask if there's if you expect any involvement at all from uh, members of your Florida team or any use of facilities here, given uh, the the Orion presence you have here uh, and facilities here. Thanks, James. Uh, none of your questions are random. I've learned that over the years. Uh, I'll turn over to Jim Voss for the first answer. Hi, James. Uh, we are going to be dropping from about 12,000 feet above the ground, about 14,000 feet above sea level. And the vehicle will start out relatively slow, probably around 100, 120 miles an hour, the best the helicopter can do. And it'll pick up speed to about uh, 300 nautical miles per hour and that's our normal approach speed for landing and then we expect and hope that it will then slow down to a general touchdown at about 180 nautical miles per hour on the runway and then uh, slow itself by braking to a stop. Uh, as to Florida of course uh, when you the, the portion that we're involved with right now there's there's not uh, not anything in our, our current plans to do that. However, of course, the Atlas V launch and this sort of thing, you'd have to look at the whole uh, Dream Chaser layout for that. But right now, uh, most of the work that, that uh, we have uh, uh, under contract is uh, Denver and also Mishu uh, for manufacturing of the advanced composites. James, I, I wanted just to add that I think what we're announcing today is the beginning of a path forward and that we both companies have committed uh, part of our team to look at the various pr uh, work that we're doing uh, throughout Orion, throughout Lockheed, throughout Sierra Nevada to determine what other things we might be able to do in the future. Um, this isn't meant to be a static one-time and out type of uh, announcement or, or relationship. We're just beginning the path and I think as our teams get together and we get to understand it's each other's capabilities and what, what assets are there, we'll, we're continuing, at least from my side, continuing open to looking at how else we can do that, and, and I view that includes the work that's been done in Florida by Lockheed. Next question online. Your next question comes from the line of Zach Rosenberg of Flight International. Your line is now open. Uh, thank you. I want to thank you guys for holding this today. Uh, I was curious, uh, it was mentioned that this was a competitive process, and I'm wondering how many bids uh, Sierra Nevada received other companies, whether any besides what uh, stood out in particular. Or state the question or get back in the queue. Hello? Can you hear me? Hello. I sort of, yes. Try again. Uh, sorry. Uh, I was... Hey, Zach. Uh, 
Mark, I was uh, curious. Uh, it was mentioned that this was a competitive process, uh, that there were uh, that Lockheed was not the only bidder for this contract, and I was curious how many other bids were received, uh, and whether there were any besides Lockheed that uh, stood out. We received multiple bids. We're, we're not going to discuss from whom they are. That's proprietary information to the bidders and to us. Uh, it was a very competitive bid, but in, in the end, there was significant advantage from a number of different directions on uh, on the Lockheed bid, which is why we made that choice. Thank you. Yeah, sure. The next question. There are no further questions from the telephone at this time. Very good. Any other questions in the room? Two more, and then we'll we'll finish up here. Uh, do you? Uh uh, foresee a, a way for this vehicle and this program to survive and prosper and thrive in the event that the follow-on to CCI cap uh, does not select your program? Well, we don't imagine a time where we're not selected. Uh, that would be contrary to the entrepreneurial nature of uh, what we are. Uh, but it's a serious question, and I think the answer is that our intention here is to design a multiple-use vehicle for orbit, and uh, what you haven't seen and what we have been working on is what other markets that might uh, employ the vehicle. We're actively doing that. We're putting a lot of resources behind it to, in either event, either in the event that NASA is uh, does not work, go forward with us for some reason, or even if it does, we're continuing to expand and look at our market. So we believe that there is a strong use for this vehicle. It's it's um, certainly, in our view, one of the only, if not the only, vehicle of its type in, in this category. So we think that there are many other uses for it, and we're putting time, money, and effort into developing that concurrently while moving the NASA program forward. Thanks for the question. Next question. Um, just a detailed question for Jim Cracker over there. You mentioned that uh, it's going to be Denver and New Orleans where most of the work is going to be happening, and I'm assuming Denver is going to be the certification contract. Is that correct? Uh, yes, the question was what, what work is going to be done here in Colorado and is that the certification um, lead point, Jim? That's correct. Correct. Uh, that will be done uh, here at our Waterton facility and uh, uh, the composites work uh, predominantly will be in New Orleans. But uh, and just to be clear, what Mark said earlier, we're also looking at a number of other opportunities and uh, we're looking at leveraging facilities that we have across the United States that we've made big investments in for, for manned space flight, human space flight. And just kind of follow up to that for you, I mean, how many employees do you roughly estimate would be um, working specifically on the Dream Chaser for Sierra Nevada? I think at this time, we're, we're, this is really the beginning of it. We are expanding our base of employees um, by about 100 across this program. Um, but that will also include expansion from the from the various uh, partner companies. We we don't have a number that we can release right now, but it's it's in that range, and uh, we're continuing to look at how we can bring on a different as aspects of the program. But that's what it to what it would mean to Denver and to the local community is probably in excess of uh, 50 to 100 new jobs beyond what we have currently right now. Uh, well, I wanted to uh, thank you all for taking the time to come out to listen to us today and. I really enjoy doing this and reaching out to everyone, and we're, we're really proud of the work that we're doing and, and the relationships that we're building, and I wanted to say appreciate everyone on the call around the United States who've been listening in, and 
we will be releasing a press release with more details and we'll have um, images and, and other information on our website for you to access and we'd be happy to take any follow-up questions or calls. So thank you very much and we'll, we'll end this now. Take care.